Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. And I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, C-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter. And today we're going to be talking about spring practices, spring games, a couple of the storylines that are going on right now. But it is kind of the, you know, quote unquote, down period. For college football, signing day is behind us. A lot of the transfer portal has been uh, figured out, but that's always in flux. But before we get to it, I'm going to hand it to Nick to tell us what is going on with CFP Winning Edge Patreon right now. So, Nick, take it away. Thanks. Uh, so I am a little more scatterbrained than usual even <laughs> uh, <laughs> right now because I've been trying to – uh, finalize our 2021 FBS team profiles and, and took a little bit of a different approach this year. Uh, and the hope was that it would, it would provide more value uh, to our patrons throughout kind of this, uh, you know, early, early off season, late winter, right before spring, because usually I just kind of, you know, say, all right, 2021's over. And then I will make all the updates to the 2022 sheets, but kind of do that away from where everybody can see it. So the 2021 sheets just kind of like, you know, uh, basically don't get a, a whole lot of work done to them after the season. This year, I kind of wanted to, to keep all that public and, and keep um, updating everything live, if, if that makes sense. If you're a Patreon supporter and you look at team profiles, you probably know what I'm talking about uh, if you're not. Hey, maybe, you know, check us out. Uh, but real quick, I just want to throw in that Nick is the only person I've ever known to run out of spaces on a Google sheet. <laughs> so uh, there is a finite at, 11 million yeah. <laughs> something. Yeah, it was it was many or several millions of. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but we, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so so I've I've hopefully and I know we've got, you know, some some uh, very loyal folks and I, I can. Uh, see you know, who's checking out the the sheets and and all that. So I've I've been pleased that we have had a, a group of folks who are um, finding some use for whatever reason. Uh, and hopefully, as we continue to update things like you know games played, games started, that's the the very last thing because it's the most annoying uh, having to go and track down a participation chart for each team. Uh, and some of them, they're easy. Some of them, uh, they're not. You, know, you have to go back into, anyway, boring stuff. You guys don't care. <laughs> but the, but the, <laughs> uh, the moral of the story is I'm, I'm down to the very, very, hopefully final hours of this process where uh, as soon as we finish recording, hopefully I'll be able to wrap up the last five or six teams that we've still got uh, this year. And we'll go through, do a uh, one very last edit, make sure there's you know not any a major sweep. transfers or anything, yeah, that I've I've missed or that anybody got you know accidentally deleted or you know just sort of fine tune some things, and then the team profiles will be finalized this week. So what that means is I'll actually uh, you know hit make a new sheet, and uh, we'll have our, our 2022 profiles basically will be available to Patreon supporters in April and hopefully April 1st. I think I've set it up to where we'll actually be able to on that, that very first day um, give us 
the full sheets fully ready to go for 2020, all rosters updated, all, um, you know, returning production stuff, all the schedules, all the early, you know, rankings, projections, all that good stuff will be ready on April 1st. That just means that this month there'll be a little bit of a period of transition where if you do use our 2021 team profiles, um, you probably won't see a whole lot of changes. I will, if there are any, you know, major uh, transfers or things like that. I'll I'll make those updates. I don't want those to, you know, I don't want to just completely leave it alone. But basically, you know, from maybe tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, my focus will will totally be shifted to our 2022 sheets. And, and that's, you know, pretty exciting. Still have quite a bit of work to do, but hopefully this process of kind of updating 2021 over the last few months and doing it you know, in our, our live sheets, uh, hopefully we'll make that, you know, process quicker and maybe I'll actually even be able to, uh, sneak out a, a few days early on, on letting our Patreon supporters have access to it. But, um, you know, we, we do have our team previews. That process is still ongoing. It has obviously been a little bit slow. We only have the three that have been released so far, UMass, New Mexico State, and UConn. Uh, we do have Akron and New Mexico that will be coming up uh, quite soon. Um, but once this process is is finalized, once those 2021 sheets are finalized, you will see you know, those previews uh, start to come out a little quicker. Also have some things in the works to kind of streamline those a bit because, of course, I am very wordy as much in – you know, print. As I think I am. Xavier is going to uh, <laughs> offer the spark notes uh, on his Patreon. So, yeah. oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so you know, a lot of uh, it's a it's a little bit of a period of transition, but it's kind of a a benchmark moment for me to be able to to say, okay, we're you know going to be done with the 2021 profiles. We're hitting you know go live or, or pretty close to that on the 2022 team profiles. So uh, just did want to update folks who, you know, if you are a Patreon supporter, kind of wondered where we were in the process. Um, or if you are, you know, thinking about it, maybe you've been listening to us for a little while, but have been holding off wanting to wait until all the 2022 stuff is ready to go. Uh, we're basically on a, you know, one month countdown to that. So pretty exciting in, in my opinion. And for one, I'll just be happy to be, done with it so i i you know i've been so dug into each individual team's you know roster and all this sort of stuff and in a weird way i feel like i'm missing kind of the forest for the trees you know that that <laughs> saying where i i don't feel plugged in at all like i feel like i'm i'm in some ways you know unprepared for the show today, because I'm just like, there's gotta be things that I'm missing or I just, I don't know. My, my uh, knowledge base seems very shallow right now, just because I'm, I'm dug in so much on each individual team along the way that I, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about uh, Missouri. I know. Ex I haven't, I, know I haven't exactly thought about Missouri about, in weeks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I know exactly what you're talking about because when I make mm -hmm. sheets uh, for ITL, when I do those sheets, like, you know, putting them together, like you're physically separating the information, right? You're not really reading it. You're just physically separating it. Like I just, for instance, I just did this ADP sheet, which we're going over the average trap position from Yahoo, Fantrax, ESPN, and the NFBC. And so I'm like, you know, 
organizing that so I see everybody's names, but I'm not actually seeing the physical number on their name. So then I have to go back and, and do it. So now, after so it's after I organize it, then I'm reading it and know what I'm seeing. So I get, uh, you know, not, not too many people are going to re relate to, you know, data analysis zombie, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it does happen. Well, maybe, maybe some do. And I will oh, I'm say, sure everyone and, who and... uses cheats can right, right, uh, right. at some time, but... Yeah. Uh, and I will say one one thing that has been helpful to pull me out of it a little bit. Uh, I've been participating in some uh, CFF best balls. Uh, they, those have started up the CFF site. Mike Bainbridge organized a, a group to, to do some of those. And so I have actually been one thinking a little about CFF, which is uh, unique for me at this stage in the calendar. But two, it, it has pulled me out a little bit to, to think a little bit bigger picture. So that, that's that been helpful. So I'm, I'm excited about that as well. And, and uh, you know, here soon, hopefully I'll actually have a little bit more of a uh, strategy going into those instead of just kind of like <laughs> flying off the cuff. <laughs> Seem like I have been uh, recently and and, uh, and just doing some, some sort of wacky strategies with no real uh research behind it that's that's not I mean, you're usually what i me, like man. to do but this is you, the stage i guess you're way ahead of me because right now at this point i'm concentrating on nfl draft uh baseball hopefully coming soon i mean fingers crossed we'll see but um let's uh let's dive in here Let, let's dive in and talk about uh spring practice and those storylines and we're gonna have some games some spring games here coming up real fast and um Coastal Carolina's uh, going to host its spring game this Thursday, March 3rd. So it's already starting. New Mexico, Georgia Tech, Missouri, San Diego State, and Western Michigan all have uh, their spring game in March as well. And others opening practice uh, in the last couple of days here at BYU, Boston College, and a couple others. So let's just first start about uh, I'm I'm up in my NFBC draft, by the way. I don't know if you guys heard that, but it was real loud in my ears. Sorry about that. But uh, let's just hear your thoughts on uh, spring practice opening at this point, Nick. And um, you know these teams that are going to have their spring game this early. Do you like the games to be this early, or do you think we should probably be waiting till April uh, for most spring games? So I, I think I actually like – my preference would be uh, for them to be spread out relatively evenly. Like I'm, I'm glad we're getting some now. I actually, I think, wish we had a few more uh, at this stage because it seems like, you know, more than half just sort of – I don't have official numbers, but, uh, you know, you see all the, the – tweets and retweets or whatever about oh, our spring game is scheduled for and it's always in that middle of april that saturday like the what is it the uh, 14th no 19th uh i don't know I, i'm looking at the wrong month, but in, in that in I think that it's the 19th is a saturday because i have a draft on the 12th and that's a saturday so so it's it's you know that that mid-april um seems like gets the bulk of spring games and, and a lot of the, you know, biggest, uh, you know, highest rate ranked teams, things like that, like your SEC, ACC, you know, big power five uh, conference teams seem to fall in that uh, period in the calendar. 
And I think because there are so many on that weekend or that couple of weeks, in some ways they get a little bit more lost in the shuffle. You know, here, uh, I, I mentioned I haven't been paying a whole lot of attention to college football as a whole because I've been dug in so deep uh, in this you know big, long process. But I actually have heard a few more things about, say, New Mexico or Missouri or you know Western Michigan that I might not. I, I certainly you know wouldn't have heard uh, or read or, or you know seen notes about uh, or been able to, to concentrate on had they fallen later in the calendar. So I wish if if you know I had my perfect setup, it would be to kind of evenly distribute teams. Um, as best we could between early March to that, you know, very end of April so that we don't have dozens of them on a single day. uh, And we might actually get to be able to, you know, take in a little bit more information in in those smaller chunks, if that makes sense. So I, you know, I I think we'll be uh, going over these few small teams here. I think it'll be great, but um, I think, you know, would love to do this every, every week but unfortunately i think the numbers are just going to uh get bigger and bigger and bigger and we're going to miss some you know details especially of some some uh lower you know a little more off the radar teams um who happen to kind of get swallowed up by those you know bigger uh programs in, in the next teams that don't have their own th- their own network to put their spring game on and replay it 50 times those teams i understand uh xavier you've gone um through spring practices and spring games and all that stuff uh did you guys would you guys do yours earlier or later and did you have a preference definitely later uh we were more of an april team uh to get our spring practices going um i'm much more of an earlier person i i love the idea of in high school uh we were we did spring practice like right out of uh like March, it was like it was right around. There's probably two or three weeks after right around now. Uh, yeah. yeah, right around now. Um, and I love that because I don't like the downtime between the end of the season and the spring practice. I think it leaves a le- leaves a little bit too much leeway um, with your own workout habits. And for some players that don't have great workout habits, it just it allows them downtime in that situation. Um, I also feel a little bit more. And I know this sounds weird, but when you finish the season in like December, January, I feel a little bit fresher when we get spring practice started in March versus if you give me downtime to kind of hang out, chill around, do nothing, maybe even go to spring break and then come back. I, I feel a little like I have to almost ramp up a little bit more uh, when I when we would start spring practice a little bit later. Uh, and on top of that, when you get spring practice done early, like, you know, you name Georgia Tech, I can now focus on class. Like, get me done with this so I can go focus on midterms and final exams that are, you know, are, are on the forefront of my brain. So I don't have to, you know, worry about that necessarily. And, you know, with some of the schools on this list, they're probably doing midterms right around now. Uh, but, you know, the later you do them, the closer you get to final exams. And the idea of having like a spring practice or your spring game like two weeks before final exams just sounds so hellacious for any student athlete. Uh, it just sounds awful. Like, you know, you're over here trying to make a name for yourself because typically that's what spring is for. Uh, you know, spring practice is obviously for the guys to get reps, but for those fringe second and third stringers, uh, and even for fringe starters, this is uh, even more so of an opportunity to kind of stake your claim before the freshmen come in for fall camp and things of that nature. Uh, so to have to go through all of that and battling for roster spots and on the back end, you've got like a trig homework. And you're just like, ha, 
<laughs> I I don't I don't like my life right now. I really don't. Uh, so I'm I'm much more in favor of early spring practices. Get them out of the way early. Um, I will say, and, and Nick, you might be able to answer this question. As a coach, did you like? Did you guys have earlier spring practices? And if you did, did you like earlier or later ones? So I was I was just thinking about this as you were uh, discussing, like from a player's perspective. I think if if I were a player or from a, a coaching perspective, I would prefer the earlier the better because yeah. one, just being able to turn the page and say, okay, last season's over. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we love those guys, but they graduated. They're off to the NFL. You know, whatever. Let's concentrate. This this is our you know team now, and and just to be able to turn that page, I think is pretty valuable. Uh, also every year, you know, and, and hopefully it won't impact uh, very many teams, but, but we hear, Oh, so-and-so went down with an ACL on the first day of spring practice mm-hmm. might miss, you know, the start of the season, whatever the earlier you do spring practice, if something like that unfortunately happens, the more time, you know, a player has to recover. So it, it, you know, that adds a, a benefit. Um, and then, you know, me personally, we, when I was in, when I was coaching high school, we were pretty late. I think mm-hmm. our spring practice, and I was actually coaching baseball in the spring. So I either uh, had to uh, kind of do double duty or miss some um, uh, football spring practice. Uh, but I, I believe most, at least like three quarters of, of the years I was there, um, there was a, a at least a period of spring practice where our baseball season was actually over. So I mean, high school baseball season is much shorter and, and starts right. earlier than uh, major league baseball and, and all that. But we're still talking, you know, having spring practices in May, which was pretty wow. late and a lot later than uh, most of the colleges. So, you know, we would, we would do high schools. You got to get creative because you've got players who are playing baseball, running track, of course, is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you want as many guys as possible uh, out on the field. So they're not missing time with their other sports. Uh, so you can't actually, you know, get a little bit more out of those, those spring practices or have the numbers to, to actually run a decent, practice that's that's a consideration in high school that you know colleges don't have to worry about but um but yeah i I think overall the earlier the better especially for colleges that can and you know weather of course is a factor for some of these and having an indoor facility is a a factor uh uh, for a lot of these as well i mean you know missouri you i could imagine has been dealing with some less than ideal spring, you know, not quite spring weather uh, yeah. during this, this point. But if you've got, and I don't actually know off the top of my head, if Missouri has an indoor facility, but I would assume at this point, they probably have to. Uh, but, you know, if you've got that, it certainly gives you some flexibility to be able to use the calendar to your advantage to, you know, flip from one year to the next, and then also give you a little extra time to, uh, one injuries, as I mentioned, but two, you get to see, um, you know, Oh, now that I, I look at it, we're much thinner at linebacker. You know, we're not going to be able to count on these guys. We got to hit, you know, one or two, uh, spots out of the transfer portal. And the quicker you learn about those sort of things, the quicker you can go out and, and take advantage of the, you know, guys who are in the portal right now. So, um, I think I think going earlier provides a lot of advantages um, that 
you know, a lot of new staffs wait, wait uh, when they're first time head coaches. Mm -hmm. You'll notice that a lot of those uh, will be some of the later spring practices. And I think it's to give them a little time to, to prepare yeah. for it, basically a new staff, you know, get the workout routines and all that uh, figured out. But I, I think that that probably most most uh, coaches would, would prefer as early as we can do it, get it out of the way and gives you a little more time uh, to prepare on the back end for the season. Now, I will say you hit the head there with that weather as a player. <laughs> oh, heck no. So when we were when I was when we had spring practice, we actually had we had spring morning practices for some days and then night practices on others. And in the NAI, you can kind of get away with two days to an extent, low key. Uh, but I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care where you are right now in the morning is frigid. Uh, I would I would miss to, you know, to be the guy that forgets that we had practices in like 34 degree weather. and We're all like wearing our sweats over our pads to try to stay warm. Like, I'm sorry. By the way, guys, this is the dude from Atlanta saying that it's cold right now. So hey. imagine most of the other uh, parts of the country. I'm just saying, like, I just looked up some of the teams that we're talking about. Like, we're talking about Wyoming. Wyoming this morning was like 33 oh, degrees, God. right? Next week, next week. So if they have <laughs> their spring practice next week has a high of 23 degrees with a low of 14. That's in Wyoming? Yes, that's their, that's their and, Monday practice. Like, and I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but have you ever seen a, uh, <laughs> they, they call it like a, a Wyoming wind chime and it's yes. just a chain because it's so windy in Wyoming because of all the like, mountains. So I'm good. It, yeah. I mean, it, think of 33 degrees now add just whipping wind on top of that is not great. So yeah, right uh, now they've got 25 mile per hour winds going to the, uh, going from West to East. Yeah. So, and uh, that's just the a kicking game. Day. Can't look great yeah. in practice. Like oh, your, your kicking game has got to be pretty, pretty, pretty rough. You, you probably don't get a real good indication of what your special teams unit looks like at this point in the season. Like there's just no way <laughs> your kicking well, so shaking them right. If you're forced to be outside and that, you know, fewer <laughs> and fewer teams right. are, are, you know, forced to, to deal with that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, weather's absolutely a a factor in in the scheduling of these types of things. Wyoming does yeah. have an indoor facility. You're right, Nick. Well, yeah. I guess I didn't really realize how many teams had indoor facilities. Now I still remember I when that was so. like Jeez. that yeah. was like a cool thing to have. It was like, oh yeah, we have an indoor facility. It's like, yeah. whoa, wow. At least yeah, they even put one up for ASU because it was too <laughs> hot. Yeah, right, old right. right. Well, and I mean, they're you know, I know a big deal at Miami, for example. In, mm -hmm. in very recent years has been getting an indoor facility. And that was one of the big things, you know, Mark Richt had to deal with not having an indoor facility at Georgia for so long. And then he goes to Miami and they're having to, you know, two places where you would think weather, okay, not, not that big of an issue, but it does, you know, it, it, it is at least uncomfortable in uh, Georgia at certain yeah. parts of the year. And if yeah. it rains and that's the big thing in Miami is the rain it rains every you know? day and, yeah. and right yeah thunderstorms things like that and indoor if you have an indoor facility you don't have to worry about it but if you're you know trying to uh and, and one you only have so many practices you can do right? right and so you know i've been in coaching meetings where we're like okay you know we're, we're you know you we have practice scheduled for four kids got school so we can't do it earlier uh, but there's a storm coming in. We think it's going to be, you know, hit around five. 
And so you're rushing to get practice done before, you know, you see a lightning strike or, or, you know, the, the rain becomes a major issue because if you go out and you start the first, you know, two periods of practice and then, Oh, you know, there's lightning, you know, the storm's yes. going to be behind. Well, but no, but then you then you're screwed out of a practice. You oh, get, man. You, yeah, you know, but Xavier have, was happy yeah. about that. Yeah. I know as coaches, you guys, as coaches, you guys are like, dang it, we, we missed out on reps. We're like, yeah, yeah. we're going home. It's about to go back to the dorm room. And then the funniest thing is. But Xavier, you know, we only have 12 days to get better this guess spring. Guess what, Whatever coach? It is. Coach, 12 days is 12 days. 11 days, we'll, get, we'll make that it up somewhere. It ain't going to make me good enough to care about this right, practice like, right you know, here. Yeah, I understand. You know, and, and the occasional and, and Nick hits it right on the head though. There there <laughs> is situations where you are sitting there in a in the like the student gym in pads and you're just like, why are we in here? Like we can't throw the football literally. It's hitting the ceiling whenever we're routing, running any kind of routes. Getting tackled on a hardwood floor ever happened to anybody in here? No, see, Sucks. Like, like this is just like this is just weird. Like running you're, you're running plays for a hundred yard field on a 94 foot basketball court and you're just like coach let us go home like nothing is happening in here we're not getting nope. anything nope. done no 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 we got to get our 15 of these and and hey sorry guys we got we got to we got to make the most the most out like we're, we're going to run all the short routes today boys all right exactly, get out exactly. There. that's exactly yeah. what happens scott we're running one on ones and it's and it's like exclusively slant routes and we're just like all right great we're going to be the best slant route team in the state of alabama awesome uh, you know oh, so i was I was just, I, I love I, the dichotomy here of the player versus the coach too. Uh, the, this uh, I'm glad I asked that question. So I didn't I didn't think it was going to provide that much content for <laughs> you guys. But you have the players' at, uh, eyes versus the coach's eyes here. But uh, Nick, what are we looking at for these teams that are going to have their uh, spring game this month? Uh, New Mexico, Coastal Coastal Carolina, New Mexico, Georgia Tech, Missouri, San Diego State, Western Michigan, a couple others sprinkled in there as well. Opening up practice uh, recently. Uh, but what are we looking at in these spring games for these teams? So I pulled out uh, really at least one main storyline. A couple of them, there are, there are kind of two storylines. But uh, to give us just a little something to concentrate on here as you know, we have a little time to, to uh, think about these teams. Coastal Carolina, the big one, and a lot of these are quarterback related, but Grayson McCall already has kind of cemented his legacy, one of the most efficient quarterbacks uh, in college football history. I mean, he's he's put up just some incredible efficiency numbers recently. It sounded like he was strongly considering the NFL, uh, but has opted to come back to Coastal Carolina, at least in part because he's hurt. I mean, he's, he's not going to be throwing, he's not going to be participating, hasn't been participating in spring practice, you know, at least as a player and uh, from a coach's perspective, that's not the worst thing in the world. Cause Hey, you're, you know, the, the uh, star player, the one guy that you can't afford to be without in the fall, he's been a starter for a couple of years. He knows what he's doing. Not a new staff, not a new offensive play caller. Uh, all that sort of stuff. So if he can sit out, that's fine. Let's get the backups some extra uh, reps in spring practice, see what we're looking like for a year or two down the road. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Grace McCall, you know, uh, saw a report. He's, he quote, hopes to be throwing in three to four months. Uh, that's not necessarily what you 
what you love to hear, even though we're, you know, that, that seems like, okay, he's got plenty of time to get ready. Probably not going to, uh, you know, it's, you would think based on his track record, based on his experience, you know, if he's healthy enough to play week one, he's not going to miss a beat. Uh, but just something, something to watch because Coastal Carolina's, you know, a lot of his weapons are going to be new, especially in the passing game. Tight end Isaiah Likely's gone. Uh, you know, Javon Hiley is gone. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, they are going to be missing, you know, more than a half dozen uh, starters. So McCall is going to have to carry, you know, carry that team even more uh, than usual. You know, three starters on the offensive line are, are going to be gone. So, you know, there's there's a lot of moving parts there at, at Coastal Carolina. And it looks like McCall is going to be ready. It looks like he's got plenty of time to get healthy. It's not a bad thing that he's not going to be out there in, in spring practice. But, you know, he, he might be a little bit rusty uh, come fall and, and, you know, won't have this opportunity uh, or at least for the next three, four months until they go out and, you know, work out together in the, in the summer or whatnot, but to break in a new set of receivers and, and work with, uh, you know, new running backs, things like that. So it's, it's a little bit of a concern, but uh, that's, that's definitely the, the big storyline to me was that, Hey, you know, Grace McCall is not going to be out there and, and is going to take a little while for him to get healthy. Javier, your uh, your thoughts on Coastal in their uh, spring game? What do you want to see from them? Yeah, I mean, to to what Nick said, you're going to have to look on who's going to be the second string quarterback. Like, as, as much as we expect Grayson McCall to come back and be 100 healthy next year, if any, and we talked about this pre podcast, if there's any type of step setback, like any whatsoever, hang now, anything, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he might stub his toe. Like, there's going to have the, the second guy may have to be you know, more prepared than, you know, a, a typical year because of this injury and the nature of the injury itself. Um, you know, there, we always talk, we hear it all the time. Players expect to be back in three to four months. You know, they're in the, the physical therapy room and, and a setback happens. And it's no fault, you know, it's no fault of really anybody. Just the body does what the body wants to do. You know, we, 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 we give expectations on how the body's going to heal, but everybody's different. So you really never know. Um, so the, the backup position at the quarterback uh, is going to be huge to figure out who wins that spot. You know, not necessarily like, oh, you know, we have maybe a couple of guys we like. No, who is your backup quarterback? Who came out of the spring looking the best? Because they may have to play week one. You know, they very well might have. You know, even if Grayson McCall is uh, close to 100%, who's to say they feel comfortable enough playing him in week one in that situation? And they look at their and they look at their non-conference schedule. They go, well, we have an FCS opponent in the first couple of weeks. Maybe we allow him to ramp up a little bit more and give him some more time to get, to, to get closer to 100% than possible. Or as possible, excuse me. So I, I, that's where I'm looking for uh, the most out of them. I think when you think about the rest of the positions, like Nick said, the skill positions have to be something that you're, I won't say concerned about, but definitely who shines out, uh, you know, because obviously you're going to be, you know, we talked about this last episode. They have one of the lowest returning production rates in football. Um, and so you're going to be looking at guys who are flashing onto, you know, who are making flash plays, who are going to be making, uh, who are going to be the guys that Grayson McCall ends up having to trust. And I, I think we've talked about this literally every year. I feel like uh, with a with a, a guy who we expect to be a pretty good quarterback coming into the year, he's going to have to get some type of rapport with the people around him. Like it's just going to have to happen. And when it doesn't, 
we see quarterbacks even at the most elite level struggle to find that continuity in the season. Uh, so whether it's you know, so so those there's going to be have to they're going to have to be guys that come out right away, show that they can be the guy. So when Grayson McCall gets back, he can run those routes with him and run those reps with him. So that come season time, he has that continuity. Otherwise, you might even see them, you know, come out of the blocks pretty, uh, pretty sluggishly on the offensive side of the ball. And they don't get any, you know, they, they get Army week one. So th- there's no real, you know, they get Gardner Webb week two, but they get a pretty daunting task, especially defensively with the way Army plays. They're going to have to be on their P's and Q's uh, from that uh, standpoint when we know that army is a team that likes to take away the clock you're gonna have to score pretty quickly and the coastal carolina has been known to do that but they've been known to do that with the guys that nicknamed and others and so there's gonna be guys that have to step up in this spring practice to uh to fill those shoes nick what about the other teams that are uh moving here towards their spring practice you know we have uh new mexico uh georgia tech uh missouri san diego state western michigan all uh, inching towards their spring games. What do we want to see out of these teams? Well, so for New Mexico, the the big thing, and it's popped up a couple of times in these early uh, previews because, you know, New Mexico plays New Mexico State and, and then they're coming up uh, here soon. So I've already, you know, done a little of, of a deep dive on them on the back end, but uh, they are you know, again, looking for another quarterback. They had so much of an issue the last couple of years with quarterbacks getting hurt. And last year, Terry Wilson, uh, you know, gave them a lot of optimism, bringing him in as a transfer from Kentucky. But unfortunately, he, uh, you know, uh, suffered an injury that cost him some time. And they ended up having to pull a student assistant. I mean, we talk about South Carolina, uh, with the, the GA, right, who, who they pulled off uh, to start for them, Zeb Nolan. But New Mexico had to do something similar. And by the end of the year, uh, had a guy who was a, a student assistant uh, put on the pads and start the, you know, at the, at the end of the season for them at quarterback. So uh, that's a big reason why New Mexico finished 130th in our offensive team performance ratings. Uh, they were just, just a, a rough, rough, uh, offense and basically they had one good offensive game and that was against New Mexico State and then everything else uh, was just a, a major struggle and they've added Miles Kendrick he's kind of the you know seems like he's going to have the inside track to start at quarterback former Juco guy who ended up at Kansas uh, a little bit of opportunity to play at, at Kansas but uh, you kind of think, you know, and, and Kansas is, is honestly, unfortunately, a little bit of a, a joke to a lot of people, right? And, and so you think, okay, this guy couldn't uh, carve out a whole lot of playing time at Kansas, and this is who you're relying on to kind of save this offense. But, you know, he seems like a, a good fit for the offense. They want to be kind of an option-oriented offense, and he does. He is a quick quarterback. Um, so that'll be interesting to see, but you know they lost arguably their best uh, offensive player, certainly their best running back, Aaron Dumas, uh, true freshman, came in and became the primary ball carrier. He's transferred to Washington. So uh, not only did they have the worst offense in the country, they lost arguably their best player, if not you know, certainly one of their, their top two or three on that side of the ball. And then they've got questions at the quarterback position. So that's that's the big thing for them, figuring out the offense. 
Uh, Georgia Tech, we've touched on a little bit in recent weeks. I'm I'm starting to wonder, is Georgia Tech going to be one of the worst Power 5 teams in the country? Um, I mean, the loss of Jamar Gibbs was huge, but that's not all. I mean, they're, they're losing multiple starters to the transfer portal on the defensive side of the ball. Their offensive line is, uh, you know, a, a work in progress already. I mean, they, they've consistently, the last couple of years, really, really struggled on the offensive line. And, you know, Gibbs has, has been able to uh, perform oftentimes – uh, in spite of, of that unit. Uh, but they have to replace three starters, um, you know, several guys with uh, major starting experience on the offensive line. And then looking at, at again, our FBS team profiles, and, and we do have all the, you know, color-coordinated uh, stuff to indicate guys who are transferred, guys who are uh, out of eligibility, and their defensive line. I mean, their top, you know, the, the four guys who were starting last year, two have transferred, one's out of eligibility. And then you look at that second, you know, second group in the two deep, two interior guys have transferred. I mean, they are rebuilding up front. Basically, they're rebuilding uh, the secondary as well. I mean, this this wasn't a very good team last year. Plays a really tough schedule and lost a lot of guys who uh, – could help them this year to the transfer portal. So um, I'm, I'm wondering just how bad Georgia tech will be. I don't necessarily think there's a whole lot of reason to be optimistic that Jeff Collins survives uh, you know, to keep this job for another year. And then, you know, looking ahead, Missouri, the big question is, will Jaden Daniels be there? I think this time last week, I just kind of threw out Missouri uh, just, just because I just happened to, trying to brainstorm where Daniels could end up shortly after we recorded, he was rumored to go to Missouri. Sounds like he either is going to visit or has visited. I'm a little unclear on that. Um, there was a, a report that's since been refuted that he had actually signed with Missouri, but uh, you know, that, that seemed to be premature, but you know, will, will he end up there is the big question. What will the Missouri defense look like with their new defensive coordinator losing Steve Wilkes back to the NFL? Uh, San Diego State, also a new quarterback, Braxton Burmeister. If you're wondering where he ended up, he's, he's uh, out in uh, San Diego now. Should hopefully bring a little bit of stability to that position. It's been a major issue for what otherwise has been a great, great team. One of the better, you know, most productive defenses in the country. Have a lot of guys to replace on that side of the ball, but still reason to be optimistic there. And maybe Burmeister will spur the offense a little bit. Uh, also, they're opening a new stadium this year, so that'll be interesting. And then finally, Western Michigan, you know, who's the quarterback going to be? Uh, Caleb Ellaby is off to the NFL, and a lot of his, you know, most talented teammates on both sides of the ball. Sky Moore is going to be uh, drafted, you know, probably higher than a lot of people might have expected. Um, multiple 100-rated starters on the defensive side of the ball, Ali Fayad, Ralph Holly. Uh, probably will be on NFL rosters. They also lost Jalen Hall to transfer. He's going to be at Western Kentucky next year. So a lot of turnover there in what at this very early stage looks to be a pretty wide open Mac where Western Michigan has been one of the, if not the most talented team, you know, top two, they in Toledo for the last couple of years. And they are losing a lot of those guys who've been big time performers. So uh, long winded answer, of course, but, Quarterbacks are, are the big thing with this group. 
but then also, as will be the case with a lot of teams, you know, replacing big numbers of guys because production or, or you know, the, the numbers just roster wise are going to be, you know, we're going to have a lot more turnover this year than we did last year because the extra year of eligibility. Yeah. And we're yeah. seeing that a good example of that with, with uh, uh, some of these teams, Western Michigan eligibility being a big part of it, Georgia tech transfer portal and, you know, uh, other teams trying to address quarterback questions with the transfer portal as well. So a uh, lot, a lot going on, but I'll, I'll definitely be, um, you know, some, some big shoes to fill some big names with some of these, uh, some of these early teams that are, you know, already wrapping up spring practice. And Xavier, what are your, uh, what's your thoughts on, on these teams? What stands out to you uh, for the spring games for these squads? Yeah. Um, I think Nick absolutely hit it on the head. And, and I think with also to speak on that, over half the teams that we're talking about right here have moved their spring practice almost up an entire month. Uh, Georgia Tech had their spring practice mid-April uh, of last year. Um, Missouri was another one. They had their spring game on April 21st of last year. Uh, same thing for New Mexico, who had their spring game on April 16th. And San Diego State finished their spring game on April 27th of last year. So I, I think you're absolutely seeing some of these teams who have more concern of, uh, of how their turnover is going to look like uh, going into this year, moving up their spring practice to figure out, you know, what they need, what they want, uh, and what they have going on at their uh, at their respective programs. I, I think Georgia Tech and Missouri in particular, the quarterback position, or I won't say the quarterback position, but for Missouri in particular, the, the, the quarterback position is a, in my opinion, I feel it's wide open. I, I could be wrong yeah. in that, and but I, I genuinely think it's a wide open battle. You, you talk about the, the freshman that's coming in and Sam Howell and others. I just feel like Missouri didn't have the guy at, at the quarterback position last year. And, and they really, I believe, are, is going to have to find that in this spring practice. So that's going to be something to watch out for. Uh, Georgia Tech, Nick, I think you hit it right on the head. This team is in some shambolic situations. I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm getting as close as I can to Georgia Tech without, you know, infringing on my, my Georgia fandomship. But, you know, I, I think – all the things coming out of Georgia Tech as they're two days into their practice is just, you know, is this Jeff Collins last year? There, there, I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on outside the program right now, and they're trying to to keep it, you know, insulated and, and focus on the football and focus on the guys in the locker room. And, and you hear a lot of that rhetoric coming out of uh, – coming from Jeff Collins, trying to do that as much as he possibly can. But the the, the looming situation is, is, you know, this might be your last year. And, and that – is hovering over the program and you can kind of feel it. Um, I have a couple of friends of mine that are photographers for the team and they've even talked about it. They can feel it. They, they, they can feel like there's this little sense of, there's, there's a, there's a the sense of urgency has been turned up a little bit. The dial has been switched <laughs> to high uh, at that university. And I think that when you, when you look at Georgia tech and uh, one of the, one of the weird things about tech uh, that I don't think many people know that Georgia tech is very, very strict on what they let out as far as media is concerned. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot of photos from spring practice. You probably won't give them any video. Like, that's just what's going to happen. Uh, they're going to keep everything. Jeff Collins likes to keep it all nice and tight uh, down there. So anything that comes out is rather difficult. Uh, so I, I think we really won't get a, a great sense of what's going on there probably until after spring practice when the media is allowed a little bit more freedom to be like, hey, this is what I saw. This is what I didn't. This is all the good stuff. Uh, going to gonna have to read a little bit more into what Georgia Tech's doing rather than just watching and seeing it. Uh, so yeah, I, I think a lot of with a lot of these teams, Nick hit it right on the head. They're moving up their spring practices. 
to figure out what they need and and uh, obviously with the volatility of the transfer portal, what they may be able to go out there and get. That, that's yeah. a really interesting uh, observation. I, I didn't realize, didn't cross-reference like year to year. And it's, it's uh, I'm glad you, you looked. That, that's, that is intriguing to me that, at least some of these teams specifically coastal's been early for years. Yeah. Coastal's been early. Some of them, some of them deciding to move it up and maybe some of the reasons we kind of discussed earlier um, that that's really interesting. I, I wonder, do you think if Missouri is serious about uh, Jaden Daniels and he's serious maybe about Missouri, uh, do you think Eli Drinkwitz would be, uh, kind of wish he had waited to start. Like if if quarterback is this big question, and with you know, oh we're we're not looking great at depth at linebacker, or you know we really could use somebody else in the mix on the offensive line. So going to the transfer portal, that to me seems like fine. Let's get spring practice, figure out what we've got, and then we can fill some holes later. But at quarterback, you know, unless we've got a Grayson McCall situation guy who's been there, guy who knows the offense, you know, familiar with the roster. Uh, I I think I'd want my quarterback out there. So if I'm Missouri and, you know, you didn't expect to have a shot at Jaden Daniels, but may, you know, now maybe you do, uh, you know, now maybe this opportunity presents itself. You know, you, you kind of have to jump at it, I think, if you're them. But there's part of me who, who wonders if, if they're like, oh, man, I wish we had kind of – waited just a just a few more weeks it really would be great to to have this daniel situation wrapped up before spring practice or you know to i think it's a double-edged sword uh, to have him fit well yeah right well i was gonna say or have him because if you pursue him and it doesn't right. work out then you know then where are you exactly with, with kind of the situation at the locker room so i don't know just another interesting little well, thought to what's going on there i also think to to that point you also <laughs> to your point, you may also ramp up your decision to go after him because of what you see in spring practice. Like you may go through spring practice, go our quarterback position isn't ready, and and, and then decide that Jaden Daniels is exactly what we need from what we've been able to see on film. Rather, you know, you get there, Jaden Daniels, you know, Jaden Daniels transfers in, and then you see him in spring practice with the rest of the guys, and you're like, well, maybe we didn't really need to go after this situation. Maybe there's a guy in here that we really, really like. So we may have the opportunity to either ramp it up or to pull it away, depending on you know whether one of the guys around here has uh, has progressed or comes in here and lights you know spring practice on fire. Then you're just sitting there, okay, we're we're content with the guys that we have in the in the in our locker room and in our quarterback room in particular. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. The Jane Daniels thing is just uh, it's funny at this point, just how <laughs> dramatic it has become, you know, like, where is he going to end up? Why would he leave ASU? And then him leaving ASU and his teammates immediately throwing him under the bus. Uh, just, just a strange situation overall. So, um, and then Herm's comments about Jaden were interesting as well. So uh, just a lot going on surrounding him. So it's going to be fun to see where he ends up. And I, I mean, I thought Missouri's probably a pretty good option for him, you know, go, go yeah. in the SEC, get some more eyes on you. I don't know. Maybe not, though. Look, looks like not at this point, at least. But uh, to, to end out the show here, um, look, it's probably the weakest transfer portal uh, that, that we've seen so far. And there's some coaching changes, but a lot of that has become settled. So not a ton to go over. 
West Virginia lost a pair of starters this week uh, to the transfer portal. A linebacker, uh, Josh Chandler Samito, uh, entering on Friday, and cornerback Daryl Porter uh, intended uh, announced his intention to transfer to Miami on Thursday. TCU also lost Kari Coleman uh, as he is going to Ole Miss. And then for uh, coaches, Kentucky hired Rich, uh, uh, how do I say it, Nick Scangerlo? Uh, as its new offensive coordinator, you're um, the NFL was a cute, skit, skit, Well, I'm not uh, calling him as a QB coach. He was a QB coach. You don't know? At, Come on. At, uh, in San Francisco, no. You know what? Gun to my head, I wouldn't have pulled off Rich Scangerlo uh, as the QB coach <laughs> for the Niners. Uh, and then former uh, Florida defense uh, coordinator Todd Grantham. Uh, people kind of wonder where he was going to end up, but uh, he ended up you know, like a lot of these guys do to revive their coaching career as an analyst at Alabama. The, the so, Nick Saban car wash. It works that's every right. Time. We'll see if he gets his shot uh, somewhere soon. But uh, yeah, I mean, less moving and shaking in terms of uh, the transfer portal and coaches at this point, because we're already into practices in uh, spring games. So most of the stuff has been settled, Nick, but a couple moves here still going on. Yeah, the, the West Virginia moves really caught my eye, not not just because they were, you know, two of, of three sort of notable names uh, since the last time we spoke, but it's it's a little bit of a continuation for West Virginia, uh, you know, coming into this year or, or, you know, at the end of 2021, I felt like West Virginia was a team that really was kind of moving in the right direction. But looking at sort of the the way the roster is working out at this point and, uh, you know, this stage in, in the early offseason, uh, maybe I shouldn't be all that optimistic because, you know, Jared Deggy, quarterback, not great. Uh, you know, kind of lost his handle on that job here or there uh, at times. So to see him transfer, okay, fine. They've got Garrett Green, uh, more athletic, can do some things. Um, you know, in the run game, kind of change the offense a little bit. Maybe that's not a bad thing. But then also they're losing, you know, several of their uh, top receivers. Um, these two guys are both on defense, of course. And, and as you mentioned, were starters. They were already losing three, uh, you know, key contributors, if not full-time starters in the secondary. So now it's basically their top five guys in, you know, the number of snaps played last year are gone in the secondary two to transfer uh, three being out of eligibility. Now your most experienced linebacker by a good margin is gone. Uh, so really the, the only strengths as I'm just sort of looking at our sheets right now for West Virginia, basically the roster as a whole is on the line of scrimmage. They do return uh, basically their entire offensive line. Everybody who played, significant step. So they do have five starters back. They are going to lose a guy who had, or a couple of guys who had some starting experience and, and one who played 300 snaps last year, but basically their, their entire two deep on the defensive line is back. So you're, you're solid there, but elsewhere, I mean, every single position's got questions. They lost Letty Brown to the NFL draft. So, you know, they brought in Jalen Dixon from Clemson. They also had uh, Tony Mathis who impressed me a little bit in the bowl game. But, uh, you know, other than that, what what is this West Virginia team going to look like? Because they certainly don't have, you know, a super high talent profile. And I thought they were kind of 
trending in the right direction, but they're they're suffering more losses than you know we would have expected just based on guys running out of eligibility because people are uh, entering the transfer portal starters on both sides of the football. So that certainly caught my eye a little bit. Uh, we mentioned O'Shawn Mathis transferring from TCU uh, just briefly last week. It sounded like you know LSU and Texas were kind of the top two, so a little bit of a surprise that he ends up at Ole Miss, but. You know, last week we mentioned that that Ole Miss is on the top of the uh, transfer rankings. Basically, two four seven Sports put together uh, you know some numbers on on who's added the most and add a guy who's a one hundred rated player according to our projections or pretty close to it. He's not actually uh, a one hundred yet, but uh, you know in, in the nineties he's going to be mid nineties uh, in twenty twenty two. So an effective pass rusher guy. I can get out of the, you know, get after the quarterback. Not only does Ole Miss land him, but keep him away from uh, division rival LSU. Pretty, pretty big win for Ole Miss there, and a team that's looking to, you know, continue to to take a step in, in the right direction on the de- uh, defensive side of the ball. And he could certainly, you know, help with that. Uh, we talked also. A lot of these are kind of a continuation of, of uh, conversations we had last week. But Kentucky, we wondered what are they going to do. To me, and yeah, I, I'll admit I didn't know uh, Rich Scandurello was uh, the QB coach in, <laughs> in uh, San Francisco. Uh, but I think that's mostly because I'm more tuned in to the college football. I, I certainly would have expected you guys to know this. But, uh, you know, from afar, and, and we've talked plenty about how I don't pay a ton of attention to the NFL, but I've always kind of liked San Francisco. They're a little, based on my pretty shallow understanding and my you know, haven't watched a ton. They're a little bit different. They run a little more 21 personnel, 20 personnel than most NFL teams. Uh, they do actually use a fullback, right? And so it's Juice. it's a little bit of a a little bit of a change up from what Kentucky was at least last year, but kind of a continuation where you get a pro mind guy because they lost Leon Cohen to uh the Charger, or not the Charger, the Rams, and you know, bringing in a guy who has seems like a similar background, has been a play caller in the NFL. You know, uh, that that is that stuck out to me. I don't, I have no idea if the 2019 Denver Broncos were any good offensively. I haven't even looked yet, but uh, has also been an offensive coordinator in college at three FCS stops at Wagner, Northern Arizona, and UC Davis. So, you know, resume wise, seems like a decent fit. Getting uh, an NFL quarterbacks coach—that's a—that's a decent, you know, not uh, that's not a step down if you're an SEC uh, offensive. You've got an SEC offensive coordinator opening. If you're able to grab an NFL quarterbacks coach, I feel like that's you know a, a pretty good at least passes the smell test when you're just looking at a name you've never maybe given a thought to before. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how it you know, how it works out because Kentucky, uh, I ran the numbers, you know, this week, it, it was pretty easy. Probably should have done it um, long ago, but Kentucky, you know, ranked in the, in the top uh, 15 in our most improved offenses based on team performance ratings over the last two years. So they had a new play caller last year, gave them a big, big bump in uh, their overall, you know, performance on the field. And so now you've got, the third offensive coordinator in three years uh, that from a continuity standpoint, it's not great, but 
you know, you, you hope that they'll be able to at least uh, keep that, you know, not lose anything from, from what was a much improved offense last year, because this Kentucky team might be Georgia's uh, top competition in the East next year. And, and so they're, you know, this is a big, this is, this is definitely uh, one that, that they can't afford to, to miss on. So, you know, pretty important. And then also, you know, finally on the, the Alabama analyst, uh, did you guys see that Derek Dooley is uh, an analyst uh, really? with Alabama now? Was hired oh, there. Uh, former, uh, we're talking about my high school uh, coaching career, former Clark Central gladiator, Derek Dooley. Uh, and he's going to be on the, the staff there. And then Zach Mettenberger, also from Athens, Georgia, uh got hired as a as an analyst there so it's it's interesting because you know i kind of wonder yeah todd grantham he was a, a sec play caller last year has been at three other sec teams was also a, a coordinator at louisville a handful of years ago uh, he gets a bit of a bad rap i mean third and grantham is a joke right but uh he's he's obviously going to provide some value he's going to give alabama you know, one, he's uh, at Florida prepared for Georgia every year he was there. So he's got some ideas on how to defend Georgia, has a good working uh, idea of their personnel. Obviously knows the Florida personnel very, very well, if that were to, to uh, provide some value. And then just familiar with the league, been a play caller, has an NFL background. Nick Saban, I think, is one of these guys who uh, – is not going to turn down a, a good idea. So if, you know, Grantham has a good idea, Dooley has a good idea, uh, just from whatever experience they've picked up along the way, you know, hopefully, you know, from Saban's perspective, they'll be able to, to use some of that. Uh, but also from, you know, for these guys, as Xavier alluded to, you, you kind of get a little bit of a, a cleansing of your reputation a little bit once you come out of this, Alabama analyst university or, or whatever it is where I <laughs> uh, like, yeah, I spent a year with, with Saban. Now I, now I know everything or what you know, it's coach I'm rehab. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, just some, some names uh, that just sort of, at least to me, you know, kind of see it like, Oh, huh. He ended up at Alabama. <laughs> <That's interesting. laughs> yeah. I will say real, real quick. Cause, cause uh, a lot of people have seen the Dooley thing and be like, oh, that's, you know, that's weird. Why, why would, but Derek Dooley was on staff at LSU under Nick Saban. So there actually is a connection there to the point where uh, there was a brief, I don't know, 20 minutes when uh, Derek Dooley got hired at Tennessee because the coach I worked for in, in high school also worked at LSU with, with Nick Saban. And so when, when Dooley got hired at Tennessee, I, I kind of got a little excited for a second. I was like, Ooh, maybe we're going to, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get, get some sort of low level thing at Tennessee. I can work myself into some sort of you know, <laughs> off field recruiting office role or something. And I, I asked our head coach like, Hey, yeah. So we, you know, go, we going to Knoxville. I was like, no, <laughs> don't, don't even think, don't, don't even think about that. get that out of your head. Nick. What are you thinking? Come on. Not, not uh, Xavier, your thoughts on, uh, you know, the coaching changes here, um, uh, obviously, uh, car wash you at Alabama is and uh, some of the transfers. What are your thoughts here? 
Yeah, I I really do like the, the Kentucky hire. I'll be completely honest. Maybe I've been a little bullish on this podcast about Kentucky in the past, and I continue to do so. Um, you know, we talk about the car wash situation going on in Alabama, but in the NFL, and Scott, you know this firsthand, if you're under a Shanahan, you, you, <laughs> any that, Shanahan, that's, a, that's right. That is a car wash in itself. Um, and, and to be a, a part of the, the Shanahan tree, carries weight in the, in the football world. Uh, and so to have coached underneath, you know, obviously, you know, Kyle in, in uh, San Francisco, uh, that's going to hold some weight. Now, honestly, I don't know what that looks like in Kentucky's offensive scheme going forward. I don't think that they have the ability to run that zone run scheme to, perf- to perfection, like what, uh, Kent- uh, excuse me, like what uh, the 49ers have done over the last couple of years under Kyle Shanahan. But uh, I also think it, once you get it to work, it looks really nice. Now, I have seen it in both sides. I've seen it look really good. Uh, obviously, he coached uh, for the Falcons for two years. Kyle Shanahan did. I've seen it look really good. I've also seen it look really bad. And if it's going to take, I think, a full year for them to finally grasp that offense. Um, it's it's a little. It's got a little bit of a West Coast wrinkle, obviously, from his dad. Uh, but it's it's at the end of the day, it is a it's a zone run scheme with a little bit of a power feel to it because of the fullback, because they bring on extra, uh, they bring on more multiple tight ends and almost go to that kind of package as well. And they're, and they're not to Kentucky's credit over the last couple of years. They have run the football very well. Obviously remember the Benny Snell years where they just were like, Hey, we're just going to run downhill and we're going to force you to stop it. That's kind of what you'll see from this offense um, as well. You know, they're going to run the football. You know, they're going to run it a lot. You know, they're going to run play action. They're going to do it anyways, and they're going to try to beat you up front with it. Now, we've seen that at schools like Iowa work for nine games and then completely plummet. So we'll see if there's any new added wrinkles into it that allow it to be a little bit more explosive uh, over time. And maybe, you know, he was able to pick up on what Kyle's been doing over the last couple of years, which was adding a lot more bubble screens and being a little bit more uh, allowing his athletes on the boundaries to to do more of the hard work uh, in between second and third downs than maybe in the past. Uh, so so we'll see. I really like the move, though. I like when a, when a, a guy gets an opportunity that's been in the NFL for a while. and He's been in the NFL for, for a good for for a long time as more of a quality control guy gets an opportunity to to go back to the college ranks and try some things out, you know, work out th- some of the kinks and the offenses that he's learned um, to the Todd Grantham situation. I mean, we talked about this and I, and I thought it was so funny when I saw it. How many times? Like, is Todd Grantham going to come? And also, you named Zach Mettenberger? Is, is that – I heard that correctly. Former right? Titans, uh, you know, uh, amazing historic quarterback, Zach Mettenberger. Getting into, like, I can't wait for him to coaching. click on – What better place? I can't wait for him to click on the highlights and show Bryce Young what he was able to do at LSU. Like, <laughs> like this is, like, is going to be amazing to me. Uh, I think Zach Mettenberger was the reason why not a lot of people were hyped up on uh, Jarvis Landry and OBJ. And no, right? no, was that, yeah, was that yes. the same? That was his team. Yes. That, okay. Yes. I, I wasn't yes. sure. I just remember they've been through some rough QB years. Mettenberger played well at LSU. Uh, just wasn't uh, yeah, you know, probably an NFL talent. Yeah, and that was. I, I remember the amazing year. That was the uh, the year that him and Aaron Murray were like. Uh, I now look back Aaron on it and Murray. go the the, yeah. the above average quarterback shootout that was him versus Zach Mettenberger in Georgia mm-hmm. in like the middle of my high school years. Uh, but remember, I, I was so think- mad when Aaron Murray went to Georgia because I'm like, God, this is the second time this has happened because mm-hmm. Stafford mm-hmm. Uh, yep. was thinking about Texas and Georgia also and ended up in Georgia. So Georgia has stolen some QBs from. The long ones for sure. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, but I will say to Todd Grantham's credit, he is a solid recruiter. Um, and, and to have another one of those guys on your staff 
just worked. I mean, you've seen it at Georgia with Will Muschamp, even with Jamil Adai leaving um, as the DB coach, you still saw a lot of the DBs that we got in this current class still bought in the Georgia because of Kirby Smart and his, you know, time at Alabama as a DB coach because of what Will Muschamp has done in his time as a DB coach in the SEC. So when you look at a guy like Grantham, at the very least, because of how much turnover that Alabama faces on a year-to-year basis with their coordinators and things of that nature, when you have analysts that have the, you know, the repertoire or the, you know, the resume, excuse me, that Todd Grantham has, it does help you in, in recruiting to not take so much of a hit when some of those coordinators decide to move on because you've got a guy with a, with at least the name and the pedigree like a Todd Grantham uh, in behind it that can soften the blow a little bit when, you know, you may lose a position corner, a position guy here or there. That, that's All right. Really interesting. Something I haven't even thought about was that, that is, is Todd Grantham kind of the, defensive coordinator in waiting and Alabama fans might be, you know, really upset to even think about that, but, (laughs) but in a way, you know, (laughs) Hey, we can bring him in, you know, we, that defensive coordinator at Alabama had uh, off the field issue this winter already. So, you know, having a a guy, all these analysts, they kind of get in the queue, right? They like get in line to maybe possibly be the defensive coordinator. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Left, left the NFL steps in when Kiffin, uh, basically got himself fired after he took the job at FAU and, and took, took over his play caller in the playoff. I, you know, you could game out a few different scenarios where Ted, it it definitely softens the blow. I I could uh, defensive coordinator at Alabama year or two. Yeah, I mean, when yeah. when when Dan Lanning left Georgia this year, uh, almost half the, the the university on Twitter was like, "All right, cool, we've got Muschamp behind him. Who cares?" Like, it was like a "Who cares" situation, but it was more like, "We've got Muschamp. If all else fails, we'll turn to Muschamp." And it was like, "Okay, cool." At the very least, what these guys can be is bridge guys until you maybe figure out what you're gonna do. But what it does do is you're not scrambling. Like, we have nobody in here who understands how to run defense in the SEC. I mean, we've got Grantham. He, he's okay. Like that's what ends up happening for for a lot of it. And I think it, it it does give you a sense of like understanding, especially when you're at these top schools, that your guys at some point are going to leave. And to get guys like a Grantham, like a Muschamp, you know, uh, maybe Mettenberger in a couple of years will be this guy. But that <laughs> will soften the blow when you end up losing these coordinators. Does definitely help. Yeah, that's what well, especially kind of now get that in you a, fix them. They, yeah, <laughs> exactly. They, they get in the queue and they wait to either become. Uh, you know, the defensive coordinator at Alabama, which will be great, or they wait to become the defensive coordinator somewhere else. And then Uh if they go somewhere else, maybe they can work their way back up. But if you become defensive or offensive coordinator at Alabama, you're getting a head coaching job at some point. Some point. Someone is going to offer you a head coaching job, it seems, almost for sure, unless you're bad enough to get fired. So with all that talent. One last thing that Xavier just just, uh, made me think sort of a random thought. (laughs) And we don't have to elaborate on it because I know we're about to, to get out of here. But uh, having Will Muschamp, accomplished defensive coordinator, good recruiter, seemed like a, a perfect, you know, just, yeah, let's insert him at defensive coordinator. But then you wonder, okay, Mike Bobo is on staff now as an analyst. They just hired mm-hmm. Stacy Searles, the offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to wonder, uh, and I know Muschamp was a little bit different, but uh, – Kirby is now, you know, won that won a national championship. That's great. Now he's just kind of hiring all his friends. Is, is that really <laughs> what you want? Is that really the direction that you want to go in? I don't know. So, I mean, party, I think Saban has done something. <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah, I Saban. Does I think Saban is bringing in new people from a wide variety. Because wasn't I mean, Bill O'Brien yeah, under Saban before? Say that again. 
wasn't Bill O'Brien under Saban before going to the NFL? Uh, well, so O'Brien was with Belichick for so long, right? I okay, don't know so that they had ever actually worked together. Fair enough. Um, but they, of course, were familiar with, with one another. And Saban will bring – I mean, he's hired Jeremy Pruitt multiple times. He's hired uh, other people multiple <laughs> times. So it's, it's not like he – you know, won't hire somebody he's got a connection with. But I don't know, like Muschamp and Bobo are like Kirby Smart's best friends from high school, right? Or or like early college. <laughs> I mean, that's just, to me, that's not always, your your friends don't always make the best hires oh, in the long Absolutely. run. So I, I don't know, but but uh, we, we don't, we'll have plenty of time, I'm sure, this spring to to dissect <laughs> all, of, all of those types of things. I'm sure more former head coaches will become analysts at Alabama between uh, now and the start of the season. Well, so. heck, if that's the case, Nick, I need one of my friends to become a head coach somewhere so they can hire me as their special teams coordinator. Hey, let's get it going, guys. <laughs> you know it's not, I'm talking it's to. not what you know. It's not what you know. It's who you know. It's, it's who you know. That's right. right. You got to be like Farmer Fran. All right, let's run some laps. Special teams, it's just you and the kicker. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, all right, like. Like I said, that is going to wrap it up for this. We can get Nick back to his sheets, uh, but back to, you know, the grind and, and the, I, I get it. You get in that groove of doing those and you just want to get them done. So uh, remember, you can follow us all on Twitter. Myself, Scott Bogman at Bogman Sports, Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, and Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner of Proprietor CFP Winning Edge at CFP Winning Edge. Uh, we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.